0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our epistle lesson this morning contains one of the most quoted phrases in the New Testament. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. I've seen many an embroidered throw pillow, many a framed needlepoint in a hallway, and many a Christian bookstore Christmas card this time of year emblazoned with this command in a full spectrum of pastel colors. It is, in the manner of American Christian products, iconic. But it may surprise many to know that the immediate context for St. Paul's command to rejoice always is an argument among notable uh, Christian among notable church members in the Church of Philippi. If we back up a few verses from the start of our epistle selection, we get the details. Quote, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel End quote." Well, it is not clear what was the cause of their disagreement. The central issue at hand for St. Paul is that they are not, quote, "of one mind or of the same mind." This theme of same-mindedness is one of St. Paul's core ideas. It is mentioned in every chapter of this letter. In chapter 2, we see the reason for its emphasis. At verse 2, St. Paul exhorts the whole Philippian church to, quote, Fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, end quote. That one mind is no abstraction, but it is the mind of a real person, as he continues in verse 5. Quote, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. End quote. For St. Paul, it is on the mind of Jesus Christ that everything hinges. The Son of God is of one mind with his Father. Their one-mindedness is the person of the Holy Spirit. And he became of one mind with mankind when he came among us. St. Paul exhorts the Philippians to be of one mind with Christ so that they can be of one mind with one another. The shape of that one-mindedness is the shape of the life of Jesus, to humble oneself in service to others. And then, as Christ was exalted through his humility, so those who are conformed to that humility, who are of one mind with Christ, will be uplifted with Christ to the joy of his kingdom. And to participate in this joy is exactly what St. Paul means when he says rejoice. Thus, when St. Paul exhorts the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord, every word of that command matters. To rejoice as a Christian is to share in the humility and in the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It is to live life in him, in union with all the others who are living life in him. By grounding the act of joy in the experience of the humility of the Incarnation and of the cross of Christ, St. Paul dispels any notion of rejoicing as a bland and sentimental positivity. Rather, he is forthright that to rejoice involves suffering and patience. And thus he continues, quote, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand, end quote. The word he uses for gentleness here is not a synonym for niceness. It is a word that means something much more like forbearance. This is the natural fruit of one-mindedness and the joy that we experience through it. Rejoicing reorients the sometimes inelegant experience of life together in Christ, leading us to practice patience with one another. This forbearance is, in turn, a testimony of Christ in our midst before the eyes of the world. It is one of the primary modes of our mission and of our evangelism, As Jesus said in Matthew 18, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. And then as he says in John 13, by this the world will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. The forbearance to which the Philippians are called is a function of their nearness to the Lord. Because Christ is among them, and because they are of one mind with him, they are capable of a kind of patient communal life of which the world is not capable. The practice of this nearness to and life in Christ is, as St. Paul continues, the practice of prayer in community. Quote, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. End quote. For St. Paul, prayer enacts our communion with Christ and each other in the midst of the many ways that we are not yet of one mind. Anything that inhibits or distracts from our being of one mind with Christ and with each other is in general what St. Paul means when he says you are being anxious. We are not called to suppress these points of anxiousness, curiously. Rather, we're called to entrust them to God continually through petition and through thanksgiving. And when we do this, our anxieties are transformed from the things that inhibit and hurt fellowship to things that point, that become points in life where grace has been known. And together, these become the experiential basis of our ability to exercise grace toward others. When we operate out of our own mind, we will meet anxiety with anxiety, always. And this always produces division. As a prayerful community who shares the mind of Christ, however, our anxieties become the pretext of greater fellowship and the ability to know the peace of God which passes any individual's understanding. The peace of God in the end is a common gift for a common prayer that is prayed in community. And this alone can keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As we have journeyed through Advent, we have seen through our readings what it means for the Lord to come near to us. His coming is an apocalypse, an unveiling of what is hidden. As Deacon Andrew noted last week, this unveiling is the judgment of God who knows all things, the light of whose presence, the closer it comes, illuminates and shows all things for what they really are, whether for glory or for shame. This is the image of the Lord coming to visit us we receive in the opening of Revelation, of the one who stands among the lampstands which are the churches. He is faithful to draw near, but until we are made perfect as a church, his coming near is as much an inspection and a correction as it is a consolation. Too often, though, we think of this visitation merely in the individual sense of what this revelation means for each of us in particular. And today's readings remind us that the apocalypse of Advent comes to us as a gift of God through his Son to be experienced and known among his people. We should expect that the ways we are being led to amend our lives and to prepare for the Lord should come precisely through our relationships with one another, even as we are all being made of one mind with Christ. He is preparing us as a people to be his tabernacle. But we are not yet a finished temple. We are not yet of one heart and mind in Christ. Like Euodia and Syntyche, it is in the churchy squabbles in which we experience division, anxiety, and bitterness that we also experience the corrective mercy of God and are the very place that we are being led into one-mindedness with Christ. Our forbearance that we practice in that real community in which we are called to humble ourselves among those we don't always agree with and sometimes don't even particularly like is at the same time our ordinary share of the cross, the path through which alone we are being led to share in the glory and the joy of Christ's exaltation. To rejoice in the Lord always is no call to pious feeling. It is a charge to embrace the dying of our dying solitary selves. It is to be freed again to see and know and experience life together as it is being offered to us by the Lord of life. And only by embracing the humiliation and at times the pain of life together can we experience the peace of God together only by being made gentle and lowly as we sand the rough edges of one another down over time by staying put and praying together, can we enter at last into the joy of communion with the Lord. For as St. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand.